You're listening to the Smart Policy Podcast, a production of the University of Tennessee's Institute for Public Service. Earlier this year, three different bills were filed that would all increase the penalty for possessing fentanyl to a Class B felony. One would accomplish this by reclassifying fentanyl as an agent of chemical warfare. Although this bill was returned to the clerk's desk as two complementary pieces of legislation advanced, those bills, Senate Bill 193 and 1398, the latter of which is known simply as the One Pill Will Kill Act, make a pretty straightforward change. They increase the penalty to a Class B felony without redefining fentanyl. These bills were signed by Governor Lee on May 11th. And for some quick drug policy trivia, this was the same day that he signed the Cannabinoid Regulation Bill, as well as the legislation adding the second wave of opioid settlements to the OAC Trust Fund. In any case, when these bills were passing through the legislature, we at SMART heard a lot of concerns about making fentanyl possession a felony. Specifically, advocates wanted to know if this would lead to more Tennesseans winding up in prison with a lifelong felony charge on their record just because they had a single pill. So my guest this month is Circuit Court Judge Dwayne Sloan, a strong advocate of drug recovery court and increasing access to medical treatment for addiction. We figured he would be able to give us a good insight into how these bills will impact the lives of Tennesseans. Dwayne Sloan, Circuit Court Judge for the Fourth Judicial District, State of Tennessee. All right, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. This last legislative session here in Tennessee, a couple of bills passed. Uh, one um, is uh, titled the One Pill Will Kill Act, and the other one is very similar, just affects the Tennessee Code in another place. But they effectively do largely the same thing in that they add a felony penalty to uh, possession of fentanyl or any of its analogs at uh, a threshold of 0.5 grams or more. And um, just wanted to make sure uh, we fully understood what was going on with this. Yeah, so the uh, actually what the legislation has done uh, was to classify the fentanyl analogs as a Class B felony, which really all that does is put it in line um, with, for example, cocaine. So that's really the, the, the effect of the legislation. And it's not just a possession of 0.5 grams or more. You still have to have the uh, possess it, uh, with the intent to sell it. Oh, really? Oh, uh, okay. In in my cursory review of it, it looked like just simple possession might land somebody with a felony. No, no. I, I, it uh, it's just uh, it's point five grams or more that with, but you still have to have the in, uh, intention to sell or deliver it, okay. or manufacture be manufacturing it. Right. And I understand one pill will kill also uh, gets into some um, uh, specifications with whether or not a deadly weapon is involved in some commission of a crime. Uh, yeah, well, that, yeah. If you have a weapon uh, in the commission of a felony, uh, you know, that, that's been the law for some time anyway. Right, right. So it does sound like a lot of this is just uh, crossing T's and dotting I's. Like it's, it's really not that much of a fundamental overhaul. Not at all. 
Not, okay. not at all. It just it really just gets uh, the Fentline logs uh, kind of in line with the dangerousness of and uh, and uh, no medical purpose of or like again using the example of cocaine. Uh, of course, now right. you know, we all know that fentanyl um, is used for treatment of pain uh, in say a, a hospital setting, but right. really this is getting at the the different fentanyl analogs. That are so dangerous and that are uh, so potent and, and killing people. Right. So Schedule One drugs are those with no currently accepted medical use with a high potential for abuse. So th this currently includes heroin, LSD, and for example, marijuana is still Schedule One, even though now more than half of our states have legalized it to some degree. Schedule Two drugs also have a high potential of abuse, but there are some uh, limited medical uses. And so fentanyl is currently Schedule Two. Um, you've also got Adderall, Oxycodone. Uh, Dilaudid, methadone, cocaine, so on and so forth. And then there's Schedule 3, uh, and then there's Schedule 4, and Schedule 5, and so on and so forth. So this bill is obviously, it's a state level, it's not affecting scheduling. That's a, a federal level policy. This is affecting how the state of Tennessee prosecutes possession of certain drugs. So the purpose of this bill then would to take the analogs, the synthesized one, these new ones that weren't created by pharmaceutical companies and treat those pretty much exactly like cocaine and heroin, as you said. Is this likely to have a significant difference in sentencing outcomes uh, when it comes to uh, people prosecuted for drug crimes? The, I, I don't see it really making a major difference as far as the uh, sentences of people that are, are receiving um, for the, the uh, possession with the intent to sell or selling or delivering uh, the fentanyl logs. Okay. Well, I, yeah, I, and, and you, you you hit on something about the half the states legalizing marijuana. It's it's it always it's, it find it, it really interesting when people say that because the state cannot legalize it; they can decriminalize it. Mm. The because uh, it's still a, viol a violation of federal law. Right. So yeah, we did see in the fiscal bill or the fiscal note for both of these bills, that um, there is an increase of state expenditures, but it's not an astronomical amount. It's not the amount you would anticipate if there were suddenly a, a lot of felony prosecutions. Uh, and, and again, I know we're speaking very specifically of this legislation, but uh, this really is a situation where we're just clarifying in the law that fentanyl and its analogs should be treated uh, like dealing cocaine or uh, methamphetamine and some of the other uh, drugs we've we've come to associate with um, hazardous outcomes. That, that's correct. And I, I'm actually pulling up the, the summary of the legislation right now. It, here's the summary. It increases the penalty. Uh, this would be Senate Bill 193, House Bill 702. Um, increases the penalty to a class B felony with a fine up to $100,000 for drug offenses involving 0.5 grams or more fentanyl, carfentanyl, remifentanyl, alfentanyl, thiofentanyl, or any fentanyl derivative or analog. Uh, and uh, that uh, removes the uh, reference to fentanyl derivatives and analogs and names the act, the one pill will kill act. I mean, so again, <clears throat> it's, um, you, you still have to prove the intention to uh, that, the intention to distribute it or manufacture it. This is very helpful and, and very promising because I've been hearing a lot of concerns from nonprofits and whatnot 
that this might lead to over-incarceration all over again, uh, more reliance on prisons, more felony charges, and that this would criminalize to a pretty severe extent simple possession. One single pill. To the average person, that doesn't sound like intent to sell, but you're, you're saying that it, you would have to show other evidence of intent to sell to actually get that felony. Yeah, again, it's um, simple possession uh, is uh, it's still going to be simple possession. I mean, you're talking about a consumer. Uh, there um, now, the when you're looking at whether somebody is possessing and they have the intent to sell or deliver it, then you 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 look at um, the circumstances around uh, what was going on, right? I mean, so if you possess a certain amount of uh, fentanyl and uh, you also have um, scales, which uh, that mm -hmm. could be an indicator that you're you have the intent to, to distribute it. Then there's usually other things like um, call bogs. Uh, little book with showing you know the transactions and how much uh, sold for different baggies around different things like that that you're looking at to determine the uh, what the state of mind the intention was but just um, but regardless I mean <clears throat> uh, for example someone could have five or six grams of it and still not have the intention to sell or deliver it but once you start moving up in weight um, then the weight in and of itself can be enough uh, to, to prove that someone uh, had the intention to sell or deliver. And that, that's a very good point. You said five or six grams. That 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 is actually an, an enormous amount of fentanyl. Uh, if it's just pure fentanyl we're talking about, being sure. just, just such small amounts are, are a, 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 a dose, as it were, for lack of a better term. Um, that is a concern I did hear from someone, that uh, the way it's written, that 0.5 grams... Uh, and 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 that would be the total weight. So the, the pill, whatever emulsifying, whatever extra substances in that pill is also mm -hmm. factored into that 0.5 grams. It's not 0.5 grams of the pure fentanyl, which also right. would be a considerable amount. It's 0.5 grams of the entire substance. I, right. I had heard a concern that the way it's written, it might put in, say, a jury's mind that 0.5 grams is in and of itself one of those extreme amounts that uh, can be uh, evidence alone of uh, intent to sell. No, no, no. It that that's uh, and of course uh, the state would have to argue that theory. Um, however, um, it, it, that's pretty easy to to overcome by way of a defense if you're you just are possessing uh, that small of a weight with no other indication of an intention to uh, to distribute it. Uh, I, I can't imagine a jury finding somebody guilty just because they possess that much. And a you know, judge, if it actually went to a jury trial, a judge always has the obligation uh, to set a jury verdict aside if the uh, sitting as 13th juror, if you will, uh, to uh, not uh, affirm that that jury verdict. Okay. Well, that's, that's really good to know. Uh, Texas, Oklahoma, South Dakota, there have been a number of states that have been prosecuting individuals who haven't, what we say in, in the minds of the common person, might not meet the definition of a drug dealer. Uh, say, for example, you know, two, uh, there, was a, there was a case in Tennessee recently, three teenage girls, two of them died, one of them did not, and now she's being charged with second-degree murder uh, because she did purchase the substance and distribute it to her friends, but it wasn't so much... I, I think a lot of people might think, well, she's not really a drug dealer, she's just so much a user that's sharing. And uh, uh, this is part of this does seem to be part of that broader trend. I was wondering if you might be able to reflect on that. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, now, and that that's uh, is, is different, of course, than what we're talking about with the, the new legislation. Right. And but yes, if you uh, knowingly distribute, which means even deliver, even share with a friend something that you've purchased, and that uh, because this is such a lethal substance, right? That you knowingly deliver that, even sharing it with a friend and the person dies, yes, you can be charged and convicted of second-degree murder. Now, in the 4th Judicial District, and in my course, the, uh, there have been a few people charged with uh, second-degree murder, but those um, were negotiated down to something much less because of the surrounding circumstances. Is this likely to impact drug courts at all? I know drug courts very don't take every case. Uh, that uh, that some it depends on the extent of involved crimes, uh, things like that. But is this likely to um, have any impact therein? I don't think so. Um, it uh, because the increased exposure it might give us more an opportunity to. Uh, to be able to serve people through drug recovery courts than uh, before. Uh, but really, I don't anticipate any noticeable difference. Okay, interesting. Um, um, by by expanding capacity, I, what do you mean? Well, I'm expanding, expanding our, uh, uh, not our capacity to serve, but the number of people that um, come into drug recovery court um, as a part of their plea negotiations, et cetera, because of their ex increased exposure, they might be more motivated to uh, pursue um, drug recovery court as opposed to taking their chances of going to uh, just serving jail time or going to prison. So it may be more le leverage even for uh, the district attorney to uh, use to uh, motivate someone to actually apply uh, to um, drug recovery court. And and I can't see any uh, uh, drug recovery court excluding somebody uh, because it was fentanyl. I mean, that, that, there was the people we'd want to help. And typically, right. the people you see prosecuted in state courts for um, selling, delivering um, drugs, uh, they're, they're typically people that um, are supporting their own use. Mm. Uh, now, there, there are people that are making money or making so much, some more money than what it takes to support their own use. But the the you, what we think of uh, big time drug dealers, they're not prosecuted in state court anymore, and haven't been for a long time to prosecute in federal court. Right, and that makes absolute sense, especially with increasing relation to uh, cartels, uh, uh, which is just an enormous network. Uh, that that makes quite a lot of sense and is a very interesting point. So so a situation, uh, someone is caught, they're looking at a felony charge. They think they might want to try to fight it. No, there's no way I was trying to sell this. Um, uh, that is a conversation that opens up. It's like, look, you can just go to drug court and we can work with you here. And uh, uh, whatever the situation of the, of the case may be, you might be able to avoid jail time or have significantly reduced jail time, so on and so forth. Well, exactly. That's exactly right. And um, the uh, uh, it's, and it's the way it always kind of is. I mean, do you, do you take your chance and uh, uh, try the case to a jury? The jury then convicts you and then you end up in prison. Uh, or um, do you take advantage of this opportunity to get help? And our district attorney, they, they all, I think, in this state, no, for sure. In the fourth judicial district, uh, I mean, you, you really are looking to uh, determine what that person's true intention was. Uh, and um, 
and, and make and make sure that the charge and ultimately the disposition, you know, matches up with the reality of what is actually going on. Right, right. And, and not to mention if they decide to really fight it, that they might incur some serious legal bills too. Um, uh, most of them uh, are actually, you know, represented by the public defender's office. Right. But yes, I guess some of them actually do, um, some of them actually do hire private counsel, but it's the, the vast majority of the people prosecuted for drug trafficking uh, in um, Tennessee uh, are going to be represented by the public defender's office. Uh, that makes certain, uh, quite a lot of sense. Um, well, this is very enlightening, because uh, as I said, I'd heard from uh, several different people that they were concerned about how this might be 1992 all over again, uh, but it really doesn't seem that way. Not at all. Not at all. No, it, it really just, in my in my opinion, it gets uh, the fentanyl analogs in alignment, again, using cocaine for an example, um, and that's that's where it should be. So I, I do understand there is another, there's a decades old law, I think it was passed under Reagan, um, but this was when novel psychoactive substances first started coming around, and, and this the, the intention of this law was to um, provide a legal scaffolding to prosecute for chemicals that are substantially similar, I think is, is literally the phrase the law uses, to known uh, uh, drugs. Um, but being that these laboratories are cranking out hundreds, if not thousands of analogs and just slight tweaks and differences, it allows the courts to stay ahead of the chemists in this way. And, and this law is still being used today to, to go after dealers. Does this just simply add more clarity? It just makes it a little bit easier. And I, I well, and of course, that's a federal law and this, these would be state laws. Well, that's still a good point that you made about uh, what the intention of that federal legislation was and, and what this legislation is doing because to a point you just made is the analogs are constantly changing, just a small tweak. Um, and um, so it, it allows it allows us um, to, to, to stay ahead of that. That's uh, it got me thinking because back in 2017, uh, under the Trump administration, fentanyl and its analogs were uh, temporarily made Schedule One. Previously, of course, fentanyl was Schedule Two, but now fentanyl and its analogs are all Schedule One. There have been a couple of bills this year. Uh, one Democrat sponsored in the Senate. Now that's the Temporary Emergency Scheduling and Testing, or TEST, of Fentanyl Analogs Act. Uh, which extends the temporary class-wide scheduling of fentanyl and its analogs to uh, for two more years, uh, that temporary Schedule One, and it would require the DOJ to conduct scientific and medical evaluation of these substances to encourage research, and uh, that uh, we can study and develop treatments for fentanyl-related substances. Uh, the sponsor, Cory Booker, has actually come out against class-wide scheduling of fentanyl and its analogs. And he points to the uh, rising overdose deaths that have continued even after 2017. But then in the House, a Republican-sponsored bill uh, called the HALT All Lethal Trafficking, or HALT Fentanyl Act, uh, which passed with bipartisan support, would permanently extend the Schedule One status to fentanyl and all of its analogs. Is that a direction you think that might be beneficial in general, is just say, hey, Let's go ahead and make the schedule one and keep it that way because it's it's clearly killing people. Well, I sure don't have a problem with moving the the fentanyl analogs. Um, uh, any, anything that doesn't have a medical purpose, and especially the drugs that um, uh, have the uh, lethality potential that these fentanyl analogs do, mm. I have no problem with that whatsoever. 
That makes sense. I mean, a thousand times stronger than morphine and things like that. Yeah. Just, just, you know, there's what one of the latest is, um, uh, well, I know the carfentanil was 10,000 times stronger, but I've heard of <laughs> something, um, uh, uh, being 50,000 times stronger, but that might be, um, I might be confusing that with a uh, xylazine. Well, I, there's there's nitazines. Uh, I think you might be thinking of, and and xylazine is is, is certainly a, a disturbing adulterant that uh, extends the the high of fentanyl, for example. Even though it's it's an animal uh, drug, I like how you clarified too, though, that we're talking about these analogs, these novel substances that are um, different than old school pharmaceutical fentanyl, which was first created, what, like 70 years ago by Janssen, is used in surgeries. Uh, uh, that's that's just a different situation here than, than what's being synthesized in labs, and no one knows what's in it. Absolutely. And uh, you made a point earlier about, um, you know, a lot of people really don't know that fentanyl is in the product, but, you know, because I, 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 I Try to help a lot of people that are uh, in um, recovery uh, and um, you know drug trafficking prosecution officers, but uh, it, it, a lot of people really are chasing fentanyl, and they know it's uh, they they a lot of them know it's not heroin. Uh, they know it's a, a fentanyl analog, but they go after it, even knowing how lethal it is because of its potency. Right. That makes a lot of sense. I, I, I we've heard from I, uh, Dr. Lloyd has talked about this about uh, how high his daily dose got and how he was just so uh, before he had gone into recovery himself all those years ago. Uh, every day's struggle was just trying to maintain uh, that daily dose because the tolerance was so high he wouldn't go dope sick. And uh, this even ties back into xylazine. I've heard that because fentanyl has such a quick half life in the body. That it's only a few hours before you start going into withdrawals, even though it's so potent. So that's why people are getting xylazine. Uh, but of course, uh, that doesn't really address the underlying issue. And so they wake up from that high and they're already in withdrawals and so on and so forth. Right. But yeah, that's, that's, that is an important point too, that yes, there's, there's definitely quite a few people unknowingly taking it, but the, the very act of, yeah, seeking it out just to maintain that. High. Yeah, for sure. And, and I've been doing this work for a, a long time and, um, I, I've never uh, seen it this bad out on the streets. Uh, the number uh, locally of uh, our our overdose deaths are, have just continued to increase. Um, it, it, it is it is really bad out there. Uh, I mean, it's uh, uh, people just need to know that you you can't assume that a, a fentanyl is not in anything you buy: uh, cocaine, methamphetamine, heroin, uh, even. Uh, we've heard stories about marijuana uh, containing it because it's being added to, um, to increase the potency and the high. I've heard it said if, if it doesn't come from a pharmacist in a bottle, uh, then you just really don't know. What are your thoughts on uh, recent efforts to improve access to consumer end testing? Uh, the, the fentanyl test strips, and now there's there's um, plans to get xylazine test strips out there. Well, I'm 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 very much for increased access for the the test strips. Um, the, um, however, I, I do understand um, the logic of people that are opposed to it because it might give you a false sense of security uh, and, and consuming, if, uh, especially if it's not accurate, if the read's not accurate. But uh, I mean, at the end of the day, though, I fall on the side of increasing access to um, uh, test strips. 
I think we're going to save more lives that way than, than we lose. I agree completely. Are there any final thoughts? No, no, but um, I'm sure enjoyed the conversation. Hope it is uh, beneficial. Thank you so much, Judge. I really appreciate it. All right. Always good to see you, brother. Take care. Have a good day. See you, bye. For more episodes on in-depth discussions on Tennessee policies related to substance use disorder by a range of local experts, please subscribe to us wherever you get podcasts and visit our website at smart.tennessee.edu. I'm Jeremy Corvellis. Thank you for listening and see you next month.